Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Whitburn Pentecostal Church. Welcome to those who are joining us online today. Great that you're with us. Hope that you can stay with us all the way through. And uh, it's good to be in God's house today. We're here, God's here, and we're here to worship Him today. So let's just bow our heads in prayer, and then we're going to seek just seek God's presence in this place today, and then we're going to worship God with all that is within us. Are you ready to worship God today? Good. Some people are ready to worship God. There's a lot of people ready to worship God in here today. Let's just bow our heads in His presence today. Father, we thank you that you are here. Lord, we thank you that you uh, have done so much for us. Father, we just think of that hymn, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And Father, when we begin to thank you for the things which you have done in our lives, Lord, we, we, we find ourselves going through this endless list of the ways in which you bless us. And Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for each other. And Lord, we, we just pray for those who would long to be here today but can't be with us. Lord, we just pray that your hand would be upon each one. And Father, that you'd minister deep into their spirits, deep into their minds and deep into their bodies. And so, Father, we just ask that you'd come and touch those who need a touch from you. Father, we've all come uh, from different experiences this week. Father, some good, some not so good. And Lord, we just pray that you'd help us as we come to focus on you. Father, as we come into your presence to worship you as your church here today, Father, we pray that you just move amongst us. Holy Spirit, come and be so present in everything that is said and done today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.
Father, we just thank you for the reality of these words. Father, the, the things which they speak about are nothing short of miraculous. Father, the fact that we, we were in debt to you because of our sin, but Father, we thank you that Jesus has come and that he has paid the price for our sin, that he has made a way possible for us to enter into your presence. Father, the, the very way that we come into your presence is through him, through his body which was broken for us. And Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his incredible strength of character, his courage, his love. Father, we thank you that he poured himself out for you and poured himself out for us. Father, that he sacrificed his own life that we might be free. Father, that we might know what it is to walk in forgiveness. And so, Father, we just ask that you would help us to experience the freedom that we have in you. Father, that grace and that mercy which is lavished upon us. Father, we just thank you for all that you have done for us. Father, your blessings are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so, Father, we just thank you for the many blessings which you've poured out into our lives. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Father, just as we, as we are in this service, Father, we want to take a moment to remember those who are sick and those who need a touch in their body from you. And Father, we think of Heather who's in hospital at the moment. Lord, we just pray that your hand would be upon her. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen her. Father, that you just bring her back into a place of peace within her within her body. And Father, that you just bring her to a place of real uh, stability um, and strength. Father, keep your hand upon her. Bless her, even as she's probably listening to this prayer right now. Father, bless her where she is. And Father, I pray that you would use her to be a witness for you. And so, Father, keep your hand upon her, we pray. Father, we thank you for those uh, who are working hard to look after those who are, are sick at the moment. Father, those who uh, work tirelessly among us. And Father, we just pray that you keep your hand on them and bless them. And, and Father, keep them safe, Lord, we ask. Lord, for others who need a touch in their body today, Father, we think of Bobby. And Lord, we ask that you would just touch him by your power. And Father, bring healing into his back. For, for Sue and Barbara, for Tom and David and, and Alan, Lord, we just pray that you'd help them to recover from COVID. Father, we just pray that you'd restore them to full health and strength. Father, for those who are grieving and Father, those who are having to cope with loss, Father, we ask that your hand would be upon them. Lord, we ask that you would just demonstrate your power and your presence and your peace in their lives. Father, for every single one, Father, as we've been thinking about the persecuted church in India over these last uh, few weeks, Father, we, we do pray again for them. Lord, we ask that you would demonstrate your power in their situations. Father, where they cry out to you, Father, we pray that you would be their deliverer. And Father, that you would just bring peace into that nation. Father, that you bring freedom of expression, freedom of religion. Father, that you bring an understanding of what's happening in that nation to the world leaders as well. And Lord, that moves would be made, Father, to bring peace in that area. Father, for brothers and sisters across our world who are persecuted, Father, we ask that you would keep your hand upon them. Father, for us who are here today, Lord, we pray, enable us to hear your word. Father, we pray for the food bank as they move premises at the moment, Father, as things are just in turmoil, things busy with that move. Father, we just pray that you'd help them to transition smoothly and well. Uh, Lord, that they might be able to continue with the things that they are doing. Father, their mission, 
Father, to reach out to those who are in need. And so, Father, we just pray for strength for the staff and volunteers. And Lord, we pray that that would all go smoothly. Lord, we pray for each of us who are here today. Lord, we pray that as we come to you, Father, we ask that you would fill our cup. Father, that it would be overflowing. Lord, for those who need to spend some time by the still waters. Lord, we just pray for those moments to, to really rest and to take time to spend with you and to be in peace. And so, Lord, we just pray, lead us to still waters for those who are needing that. And uh, Lord, maybe for some who are joining us online today, Lord, just the needs which they have, Lord, we pray that you just demonstrate your power in those areas of need. Father, open up our eyes and ears, spiritually speaking, to, to really perceive and understand what we'll read in your word today. And Father, we pray that our hearts would be open to receive it. And may we be encouraged, encouraged through reading your word today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Thank you to the musicians for leading us again. And to everyone else who's serving in different ways today. Okay, just give me a little second to get myself organized here. Okay, just making sure that my iPad didn't switch off halfway through speaking, which is what it's been doing. Something that I changed in the settings, but didn't change properly. And you can do this for track and trace, so just bear with me for a little second. Okay, so... Turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to read through some verses um, uh, and just kind of finish off this little mini-series in Thessalonians. It's quite interesting when you just speak, for, from my point of view, uh, speaking from a book rather than uh, on a particular subject. It, it kind of causes you to look at different things that you wouldn't normally look at. And so I've been speaking last week on... Uh, the second coming of Jesus, you know, the master's return, which is a theme for today. But in, in this book, we've thought about the, the model church. We've thought about model leadership. We've thought about uh, mutual concern, the, the church for the leaders, the leaders for the church. And last week, we thought for a little while about a manner of living. How do we live as Christians? And this week, I really want to focus on the master's return. And I'm going to read through First Thessalonians chapter 5. There's two sections to it. And the first section is a continuation from chapter 4. It's like chapter 5 has intersected this account about uh, the, the second coming of Jesus. And so I'm going to go back into that uh, today. So I'm going to read through. And when we get to the second part, I'm going to just put up some headings on the screen uh, just so that we can focus on what Paul's actually talking about. But I want to come back to the first half of of the chapter and focus on that today. So let's read. I'm reading from the New International Version. And this is what it says. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. And when he says dates, when the NIV uses dates, I think a better translation of that is seasons, about times and seasons. And we'll talk about that in a minute. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. 
But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. You know, it says here that we are not in darkness. We're not people who live without understanding. God has given us the light of his word to illuminate our understanding so that we're not people who wander around in darkness. Maybe another way to put that is we're not, we don't need to be ignorant. And that's why Paul wrote this letter and why he spoke specifically about this subject. He didn't want people to be ignorant. And so he says, let us put on self-control. Uh, let us be self-controlled, sorry, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. And Paul uses this analogy of spiritual armor uh, in other books, particularly Ephesians as well. Verse 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we're alive or dead, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. And then this second part of the book, it's more kind of practical. Now we ask you brothers to respect those who work hard among you. He's talking about church leaders who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of the work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Why does Paul write these things? He writes these things because these are the issues that are prevalent in the church in Thessalonica. He's visited here probably somewhere around 49 uh, AD. He's writing this letter a year or two later. A year or two later. <laughs> that, that's, how did I manage to do that? Eh? He's writing this letter a year or two later. I just thought I'd say it again because it sounded funny. Um, to, to really encourage them in these areas, not to be idle, um, and to help people who are weak. So there were people who are weak to be patient with everyone. There's a challenge. Be patient with everyone. There are some people who require more patience than others. Did you know that? And some of us require at other times more patience. Make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. It's amazing that kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Kindness, love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. When we have the Holy Spirit living in us, there is a kindness that marks us. I don't know if you've read uh, any of the, the prayer points for uh, the church in India. The one today was about somebody who demonstrates kindness in a situation. And by doing that, even despite the fact that they're facing persecution, by demonstrating kindness, it's having, having an effect on others. Then it goes on to say in verse 16, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I could write a book on that, those few verses alone. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. And we've been thinking about prophecy over the last number of weeks on the Wednesday nights. 
and how we need to listen to what God is saying to us through the prophetic. Don't treat it with contempt, but instead test everything, hold on to the good, and avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. In other words, setting you apart for good. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss, unless it's COVID, okay? That's out of the question, okay? I charge you, brothers, uh, uh, sorry, I charge you before the Lord uh, to have this letter read to all the brothers. So it was a letter not just for one or two people. This was to be read to the, the whole church. And then he finishes by saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is a letter which was meant to be read to everyone. But what we're going to do, rather than focus on those last few verses, I'm going to go back and focus on this subject of the Master's return. And I hope you don't mind me just spending a little bit more time on that. I touched on that last week, but it's not something that we hear a lot about in the church these days. And so I want to preach on the second coming of Jesus really, really briefly today and using Thessalonians rather than there's a whole bunch of verses we could speak from, but I'm going to concentrate on Thessalonians. I'm going to tell you a story first though. And I go back to probably when I was in primary four in the school. I don't think I've ever shared this story before. There was a guy in our school called Norrie Goodwin. And from my memory, Norrie had kind of orange hair. It was curly and he was a bit of a character. And one day, Norrie Goodwin was running around the school frantically asking people if they were Christians. And I thought, what is he doing? And he came up to me, he said, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? I said, yeah. I says, why? What are you he says, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And then he run off and talked to somebody else. And are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Uh, no. What are you talking about? And Norrie Goodwin ran about the whole playground asking people if they were Christians. I don't know what the background to that story was. I just know that I was like, I'm really glad I'm a Christian because if Jesus comes back right now, I'm ready to go. And, and that was one of the kind of points that we brought out last week. Are we ready? If Jesus came back right now, are we ready to go? Norrie Goodwin, who could forget that day? But Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, he said this, watch out that no one deceives you. When the disciples were asking Jesus about when he would come back, he says, watch out that no one deceives you. Even in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, when the disciples are asking Jesus, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were thinking as nationalists. They had a nationalistic mindset a people who were oppressed by the Romans and they wanted freedom in their nation. Is this the time? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know times or seasons. The phrase that we use here in Thessalonians, it's not for you to know times and seasons, but instead you're going to be filled with the Spirit and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Rather than having this nationalist mindset where Israel was going to be saved, Jesus had a bigger vision. And we need to grasp this. Jesus had a, a vision for the world, not just a vision for Israel, a vision for everyone that included us, the Gentiles. That's why Jesus died on that cross. Jesus had a bigger vision. We need to have a world vision. I'm looking up the back of my mission champion who's nodding in agreement. We need to have a world vision, a vision for the gospel going out. 
But Jesus said to his disciples, watch out that no one deceives you. In Matthew 24, 4, that's another occasion. Why? Because there are lots of things that can trip us up. We don't need to be ignorant because Jesus has told us everything that we need to know on this situation. We don't know everything, but we know as much as we need to know. And that's quite interesting. The Bible doesn't go into details about everything. There are some things even that Daniel was told to close it over and seal it up. That's not for just now. That's for a later time. I don't know if you remember, back in 2011, there was a man called Harold Camping. Does anyone remember this name? No? Who appeared on the BBC News even, and his declaration was that Jesus was going to come back on the 21st of May, 2011, at 6 p.m. And it was going to happen time zone by time zone. This is the man in question who sadly passed away and now. 21st of May, 2011, at 6 p.m., time zone by time zone, Jesus is going to come back. And I remember even hearing this in the news, I'm like, I write, okay? See, when Jesus said nobody knows the time or the hour, he really meant that. And Harold Camping got it sadly wrong. Why am I sharing this? Because we're told not to be deceived. And people look at the signs of the times that the Bible talks about, and they look at what's happening just now, and they think Jesus is coming back soon. And he is coming back soon. Over the course of last year, I began to think about this, and I began to think about the 19th century, the century that I was born in, 20th century. I was born in the 19th century. The 1900s, okay? The 1900s, okay? I'm born in the 20th century. And if you look at what's happened throughout that century, and I'm going to share this at some point in time, if you look at the signs of the times in the 20th century, Jesus should have come back by now, you know? And I kind of think it's easy to shoehorn the situation so that it fits, and, and therefore we can get unsettled, and, and I've heard even people in our church getting unsettled and disturbed about some of these things, particularly when we go through a, a pandemic that's affecting everybody, the whole world. In an interview with Dan Amira for Intelligence, Harold Camping was asked, if six o'clock rolls around and there are no major earthquakes, are you going to start getting worried? And this was his reply, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I don't even think about those kind of issues. The Bible is not, God is not uh, playing games. I don't even want to think about that question at all. It's going to happen. So convinced was he that it made the global news. And in March 2012, Harold Camping, still on planet Earth, humbly acknowledged in a letter to family radio listeners that he had been mistaken, that his attempt to predict a date was sinful in his words, and that critics had been right in pointing out that Scripture says, of the day and hour no man knoweth. He added that he was searching the Bible even more fervently, not to find dates, but to be more faithful in his understanding. Why did he do that? I have no idea. Did he have an ulterior motive? I have no idea. I don't know. I've read some of the accounts of this event. I don't know why he did that. But Jesus says, watch out that you're not deceived. 
At the end, we need to come back to Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, not the Son, but only the Father. Nobody knows. The problem is when things like this happen, it discredits the church, it discredits the message, it makes people look like they're fools. And people were having big parties at that point in time saying, well, Jesus hasn't come back, so let's just go on with life as we were before. But it takes away from the reality that the Scriptures talk about Jesus coming back again for His church. And that's what I want to focus on just for a few more minutes. Paul clearly taught this to the Thessalonians when he was with them because he's reaffirming it in his letter. Listen to what he says. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you should not need, uh, sorry, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. The times and the seasons concerning the return of Jesus. In other words, you don't know when the thief's going to come. You don't know what the time is. You don't know what the season is. Well, we're encouraged to look at what's happening around us and to be careful and to think about what God is doing in the world. And Paul uses two distinct words here that refer to time, times and seasons. The first one that he uh, uses is the word chronon. And chronon talks about the chronology of time, start to finish. When the service started, when the service will finish. That's the chronos. That's the chronology of time. The second word that he uses for seasons is chiron, which talks about the character of the time. It's not when the time the service starts or finishes. It's what's happening in the service at the time, this time. And so it's more about the character of times. And, and what Jesus is saying is, don't get so caught up with the timeline. When's it going to happen? And for the disciples, like, when is, when is Israel going to be restored and, and as be in a rightful place as a nation? When's that going to happen? And, and Jesus is saying, you don't need to be concerned with the chronology. Don't, don't get upset about that. Don't waste your time thinking about that. And he also talks about the character of the times. What's going to be happening in those times? And Paul, writing to Timothy, he expresses some of the character of the times that mark the end times. And in 2 Timothy 3.1, he says this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Terrible times. I don't know about you. I look at the world that I'm living in today and think, it's way worse than it was when I was a kid. Or is it just that I understand what's happening? Those of you who are older than me, and have had an appreciation of the world maybe a bit more when I was a kid and you weren't a kid, you might look at it and you say, yeah, it really is getting worse. This is what Paul goes on to describe as the character of the times as he continues to speak to his uh, young apprentice, Timothy. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, have, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. 
What a list. It's not very inspiring, is it? And Paul talks here about having a form of godliness. It's talking about people who demonstrate these characteristics but are saying that they are lovers of God. They have a form of godliness, but they deny God's power in their lives. This is how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message translation. They'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. People who make a big show about religion, but behind the scenes, it's a different picture. And I find that a little bit scary that Paul is talking about people who present themselves as the church in the last days. I wonder, I wonder why Jesus kept saying, don't be overly concerned about the times or the seasons. Could you imagine if Jesus had said, well, it's going to be another 200 years, so you just need to crack on. Or if Jesus had said, well, it's going to be another 2,000 years, here we are almost 2,000 years later, not quite. And just you crack on. Could you imagine if Jesus came here today and said, it's going to be another 400 years, just crack on. What is the danger? The danger is that we just begin to go, oh well, it's not for a wee while yet. We'll just have another wee cup of coffee, a wee scone with some jam and some butter but you never mix the jam and the butter, okay? Just for those who are preparing a scone for me this afternoon, maybe. The danger is that if they had that perception, they would have lost the zeal that drove them forward. If you think about the way the church grew in those early years, it was explosive. In Acts chapter 1, verse 7, where Jesus says, I'm, you know, I'm going to fill you with the Spirit. You're going to be my witnesses. That's what really happened, and they took off. The apostles lived with an expectation of the imminent return of Jesus. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses, and they worked tirelessly to share the good news. See, when Paul's writing to the Thessalonians, he's talking about honoring leaders, those who work hard among you, he says. What he's saying is that people who are wearied with toil. Honor people who work hard amongst you, those who are wearied with toil. I look at the disciples, the early apostles, and think these guys were full on. These guys were 100% in sharing the gospel and filled with the Spirit in order to do it. And the danger for us, I think, is that we lose this expectation, and it's not helped by people who make stupid declarations about when Jesus is going to come back and it doesn't happen. It's not helped by people who are getting it wrong, massively wrong. What would have happened if the apostles hadn't done what they did? They served their generation and they served their generation fully, 100%. And by serving their generation, they serve us today, our generation. And I think God has got something to say to us today about serving our generation, but we're not only serving, by serving our generation, we're also serving the next generation and the next generation after that. We need to continue to serve with zeal. And there needs to be an urgency in our work. We need the same missionary zeal in our generation, in our time, in our season, 
our season of opportunity to work and to work tirelessly. We have an opportunity to do something significant for our generation that will impact the generations to come. And it's worth noting that when Jesus is talking about him coming back, he talks about it being like a thief in the night. Nowhere does it suggest that Jesus is a thief. He talks about the circumstances being like a thief in the night. You know what the Bible says about the thief in John 10, 10. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus is going to come for those who are his. Those who are bought by the shedding of his own blood. Those who he has redeemed. We talked about in the songs. We sang about it in the songs we sung this morning. Jesus has redeemed us. What does it say in 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 3? While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant, pregnant woman and they will not escape. And if anything is going to be stolen at that time, it will be that sense of peace and safety and security. Imagine that moment when Jesus comes back for his church and the people of God are stolen away out of this world, reunited with the Lord and with those who have died in Christ. And I just wonder, how should we respond with such a knowledge? Paul goes on to say this. So let's not, I'm reading from the message translation now. So let's not sleepwalk through life like others. Let's keep our eyes open and be smart. People sleep at night and get drunk at night, but not us. Since we are creatures of the day, let's act like it. Walking out into the daylight sober, dressed up in faith, love and hope, the hope of salvation. And you just wonder what else needs to be added to that. I don't know about you, I find myself challenged by verses like this, to ask myself the question, am I sleepwalking through life? It's so easy to just sleepwalk through life. There's a member of our family who sleepwalks sometimes and who, when he was on camp, Slept, walk, sleepwalked, slept, walked. <laughs> Robert, you can do a grammar check with me later on. How, how did he walk while he was sleeping? From one building to another building and was totally unaware of how he got from A to B. Think about that. We can be like that as Christians, walking from one place to another and we don't know how we got from A to B. It's like life's just passed me by. We're encouraged to be people who don't sleepwalk through life. Be alert. Be aware of what God is saying. Be encouraged to keep following God. And then he, he comes towards the end of this and he talks about encouraging one another. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. That word encourage means to comfort, to build each other up, to edify. I don't know about you. Do you need encouraged some people do. Okay, it wasn't a rhetorical question. Do you need built up in your faith? I don't know about you. I need encouraged all the time. I need built up in my faith all the time. And the question is, who are we encouraging and who are we building up? This verse isn't addressed to the leaders of the church. This verse is addressed to the church. 
This verse is addressed to everyone in the church, everyone in the church. Encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. We talked about that last week. You're doing it, but just keep doing it more and more. Who are you encouraging today? Who are you building up? Today, I'm not trying to do another good one on you and say some random thing that's not true. I'm not trying to do a Harold camping by predicting some date. That would be totally ludicrous to do that. But let's not allow it to take away from the reality that Jesus has said he will come back. He'll come back for his church. But don't be taken in by everything that you hear. And let me just add this. It's not in my notes. Facebook is a great way to find a whole bunch of stuff that's not true. Facebook is a great way to polarize people by feeding them the type of things that they want to hear, the type of news that they want to read. I don't know if you knew that. That's what they do. That's what the algorithm does. It feeds you more of what you're already feeding on. And you can find that two people are looking at the same piece of software and coming up with two, two totally different worldviews Two totally different perceptions of how things are working because that's what it's designed to do. And you can be taken in by all sorts of rubbish. There are things which I have seen on Facebook which are simply not true. You look them up, you check the facts, and they're simply not true. Videos with people purporting to tell the truth, but it's not true. We live in a world today which feeds us, and we all know the stuff about fake news. It's been in the news often enough. We live in a world that's filled with misinformation, so much knowledge, and we need to check to see if the knowledge is true. Don't be taken in by everything that you hear. Paul encourages people not to be taken in by every wind of doctrine. We have to grow up, we have to be mature, we have to get into the Word of God, we have to read it and understand it, interpret it correctly, and apply it to our lives for ourselves. Let's not be taken in by everything that we hear. And let me borrow a verse from the second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 1 to to 3, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and are being gathered to him, he's writing to them again about this, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. We need to be fully alert and awake to what's happening in our world. I would say, as I finish off today, if anything we take from this, it needs to be that we should have an urgency in our labor for the Lord, in our work for God, in our witnessing, in all the things that we're trying to do. When we're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, in my church, in my family, in my street, in my town. When we're praying that, we need to respond to what God is telling us to do as a result of that. We need to be workers. And for those who love to study prophecy, and I have been in that place where I spent a long time studying biblical prophecy, I came across this quote 
in a book that's all about how to interpret the Bible by Robertson McCulkin, and he says this, a great deal of predictive prophecy of Scripture is yet unfulfilled. In the time before the prophecy comes to pass, it is designed to affect present thought and conduct, not to satisfy curiosity concerning the future. So many people concerned about the future. You can go to all sorts of places and all sorts of people who claim to know what the future holds. We can read all sorts of things in the newspaper that tell you what kind of day you're going to have. Are you going to meet a tall, dark, handsome stranger or come into money? What a load of rubbish. We have a Bible that talks about things that are still to come. We need to interpret that properly and not make up false stories, not come up with false theories and ideas. But when we understand that Jesus is coming back again, it should push us on to do something about it. Let me just finish off. I'm going to read a little verse from Ephesians chapter 3, which is going to be my prayer and a prayer of blessing to finish us off today. Let's bow our heads in prayer. And you can find this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 20 in the message. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his Spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength, that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that both with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all Christians the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Father, we pray that our hearts would be open to receive everything that you want to pour into our lives. Father, whatever we need at this point in time, Lord, we pray that you'd meet that need. Father, for those who have not made a decision to follow you yet, Father, we pray that today would be that day. Because, Father, we have realized, and maybe more so in recent days, that the future is uncertain and in many ways unknown. But, Father, we know this one thing for sure, that there will come a day we will stand before you and we'll have to give an account for our life. And Father, we want to be standing on solid ground, standing on what Jesus has done for us. And so, Father, I pray that that would be our experience today and this week and the month that will come the rest of this year. Father, we pray that you'd help us to stand firmly on Jesus who is described as the rock the rock of our salvation. Father, we pray, lead us to that rock which is higher than we are. And may we stand on that firm foundation which is Jesus. Father, I just pray your blessing over this church, this congregation today, whether gathered in person or online. Father, I pray for your peace to descend upon each one. And Father, for your strength and power to be known in our lives. And Father, we pray that you would be glorified in us and through us. Help us to have that missionary zeal to take your word to those who need to hear it. Lord, you know there are many desperate situations that surround us today. And Lord, we pray that you just demonstrate your presence in every situation. Bless those who are going through difficult times with a knowledge of your presence and with 
a perception of your peace. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Well, bless you. Have a great week. And uh, just to remind you that Sam's will be speaking next week. Looking forward to that. So have a great week.